Morning, everybody. It's good to have you here. Uh, before we start our final message in the Dear God series, I'd like to ask you to bow with me for a word of prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I know that there are many people out there that are searching for you and wanting answers to their deepest questions. Lord, that's what this message series has been about, and that's what one of the things we're going to talk about today. Lord, we heard yesterday and last night and this morning that there was a shooting of a synagogue in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and 11 people have died. Father, and then we hear about the pipe bombs that are being mailed to all different kinds of politicians this week. Father, we live in a, a nation that is troubled by uh, hatred and violence and incivility. And Father, we're praying that as we're getting near the elections in about nine days, Lord, we're, we're asking you to bring more peace. We're asking you to bring more civility, more understanding. Uh, Lord, we're asking for the ability to love people and to care about them or at least treat them decently, even if we are worlds apart when it comes to worldviews or political opinions. Lord, help us to see that underneath all of those, uh, all the politics, that there are people that are common human beings and they have red blood flowing through their veins just like we do. They have hopes and dreams. They have love for their family like we do. And they want a better nation like we do. Uh, so Lord, even if we don't see eye to eye, help us to love one another. Help us to treat each other with, with respect and with dignity. And Lord, we're praying that your Holy Spirit would bring comfort to those families who are grieving the loss, the synagogue who has been rocked with this terrible tragedy. God, we pray, for, we pray for peace and we pray for tolerance and we pray for justice. God, help us. Help us as a nation and help us as your people to be the kind of people that model the kind of behavior that we're hoping for and praying for. God, when we say we need more love, help us to be those people who love. When we say we need more grace out there, help us to be the people that show the grace and the tolerance and the dignity to every single human being. God, help us. And now help us as we're closing out this series. And dear God, Lord, we want answers to these questions and we know that you have the ability to provide them. So speak through me, your servant, and teach us all with your Holy Spirit. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Amen. We're, this is a number seven in our series called Dear God. We started back in September. Uh, just a quick review of the previous messages. You say, well, what have we been talking about the last seven weeks? Well, questions that people have deep in their heart uh, that might be a question that proves to be a barrier between someone and God. The first uh, question was, dear God, do you even hear me when I pray? Do you hear me when I pray? Talking about spiritual doubts. The second message was, God, if you already know everything, if you know the end from the beginning, if you're uh, omni, omniscient, and there's nothing hidden from you, then why do I even need to pray? If you already know what I'm going to say, why don't you just, why don't I just look up and say, you know, you know, um, so why do I need to pray? The third message we, we talked about was, God, do I really have to forgive? And not just do I have to forgive in general. Lord, do you really want me to forgive that person? And of course, the answer is, yeah, God really does want us to forgive that person. And guess who's the person who's ultimately going to be freed? It's going to be you. 
when you choose to forgive. The fourth message was, why does my life, God, why does it have to be so hard? Why does life have to be so hard? We talked about the idea that this life here on earth is short and eternity is long. And this life is a test. This life is a trust. This life God gives us is a temporary assignment. And yeah, life may be hard here on earth, but it's going to be way, way better in eternity in heaven. And God is here to help us through the hard times here on earth. The fifth message was, dear God, why don't you get rid of evil? We just saw this evil shooting. We read about it of the synagogue in Pennsylvania. God, why don't you prevent those things from happening? And we talked about this idea of love and love. If it's real love, if it's true love, it embodies the, the ability to choose yes or no to love. And that ability to choose also means that people can choose not to love and they can choose to do very unloving things and evil things. And God would have to turn us all into robots if he was to keep us all from doing any evil. There's a greater good that comes out of choice. There's a greater love that comes out of choice. There's a greater heroes that emerge when they have the ability to choose to love and to sacrifice versus to be selfish. So we talked about that uh, two weeks ago. And then last week, we talked about, God, why am I so afraid? Why am I so afraid? Why, why am I afraid of, of the future or these things that happen in life? You remember what we talked about when he said, you know, here's the good news, that 85% of the things that we fear actually never happen. And most of the things that we do fear happen, that somehow with God's grace, we have the ability to make it through, to overcome, to get by them. So, so yeah, sometimes we are afraid. But God reminds us in Psalm 56 and verse 3, he says, when I am afraid, God, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. And now we've reached today's message, which is the, the culmination. In fact, I have to go take the sign off the street, the dear God sign, when we uh, finish up this afternoon. Um, Today's message is, God, do you, and this was actually a question that was on there, so I thought, you know, I, I, I better review the, the whole sign and say, maybe I ought to answer one of those questions that somebody's driving by and stops in and said, I was looking for the answer to that, and you never asked it. Well, yeah, the, the, the question is this, God, do you really have a plan for my life? God, do you really have some sort of specific plan for me? And if you do, then how am I supposed to discover it? How am I supposed to go out finding what your plan is if you have one for my life? I begin with one of my favorite verses of Scripture, and it's one of my favorite verses because it talks about God being who He is and God being a God who is relational, that He wants to have a relationship with you and me. And that's the verse that uh, Jesus prayed uh, when He was in the upper room praying to the Father. Uh, Jesus said this, eternal life is this. To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. To Jesus, the way he describes eternal life, you know, when Jesus calls something eternal life, you know, the, um, for God so loved the world that he gave his own, one and only son, that whoever uh, believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. When Jesus talks about eternal life, he's not just talking about biological life, the fact that we're alive or that we have a pulse or that we're breathing air. Uh, that, but he's talking about a quality of life, the, quali the best kind of life we could possibly live, which is a life in relationship, in right relationship with the living God who made us. 
And Jesus says eternal life is to know you, the only true God. That's how we have eternal life. That's God's plan for you and me, that you and I come to know him. And so now the question is, well, then how do we do that? Well, you realize when you come to know God, you have to know who God is and you have to know who you are in relation to God. And you have to do what God asks you to do in order to come into that right relationship. Now, it's interesting, Holly mentioned that in her communion meditation about the very first man and woman, Adam and Eve, walking in the garden with God. And at the end of the day, God would come to the garden and commune with them. He would have friendship with them, relationship with them. Before there was any sin or evil or wrongdoing or rebellion came into the world, God had this right relationship with us. And ever since the fall of man through our own disobedience, through our rebellion, through our independent attitude from God, God has been trying to get us back into a right relationship with himself. And so how do we do that? How do we get back to that right relationship with God? The first step is we got to come to realize that it is God who made us. The, the first step, I remember one uh, worship pastor said this years ago. He, I think it was Chris Tomlis. He, he said about 15 years ago, he said, I came to this realization that God is God and I am not. <laughs> God is God and I am not. You come to realize that God is our creator, that he made you, and that God made you for a, a living relationship with him. He wants us to be in a living relationship with him. The next step toward eternal life is you understand that there is a barrier. In fact, you often wondered walking around in your life sometimes, you say, God, why do you seem so distant? Why do you seem like you're so far away? Why does it seem like there's this barrier, this wall between us? Sometimes when I pray and instead of the prayers reaching up to the heavens, it's like the prayer just bounced off the ceiling and came right back to me. Why does it seem this, this barrier? Well, you have to understand that with between us and a holy God, there is a barrier between us that separates from us and God who is holy. And that barrier, the Bible calls sin. It's a very biblical word. It's a word that's almost like the S word in the world today, but not that S word. That's like the, this other S word that's out there because nobody wants to talk about this idea that we human beings make moral choices and oftentimes we make the wrong moral choices that are selfish and self-driven and do not love our neighbor as ourself. And that sin uh, in, in the Hebrew, the sin, it, it, there's a word picture in the Hebrew about sin. It means to miss the mark. And it speaks of this archery contest where people are shooting arrows at a target and the bullseye is the center of the target. And the further away you get from the bullseye, the greater the sin. So it's like sin one, sin two, sin three, sin four. And then you get to my sin, sin 18, you know, where you're, where you're outside the target and you're missing the mark of God's calling for our lives. That sin creates a barrier between us and God. So, so now you have this God who loves us, and now you have us who have been in, in rebellion against God, missing the mark, living selfishly, out of a right relationship with God, and now you say, God, what are you going to do about it? Because we can't save ourselves. I can't do enough to get back into a right relationship to holy God on my own. So we go to the next step and that God did something for us that we could never do for ourselves. Jesus came. And he showed us how to live a life that loves God with all your heart and loves others the way God wants us all to do that. 
They asked Jesus, they said, what is the greatest commandment? He said, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love your neighbor as yourself. And I can imagine most men and women that were listening to him saying, those are wonderful commandments. Has anybody ever done that 100% in your life? And the only one who could raise his hand and say, yeah, I have. I've loved God forever with all my heart, the Father and the Holy Spirit, me being the Son, and he's loved us, humanity, with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's loved us as himself. He gave us something that we could never earn or merit. He gave us his own grace, and he, did, he proved his own love toward us, and that while we were still in our rebellion against God, Jesus died for us. So he gave his life for us. We've fallen short of the life God wants us to live, but Jesus gave his life for us. It says in here in 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter the apostle wrote these words, Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. In other words, you say, Jesus, we celebrate communion. We do this in remembrance of you. But somebody may say, well, why? What is the meaning? You know, you guys always talk about Jesus dying on the cross. Some churches have crucifixes up there, just to remind. You remember Jesus died uh, uh, up on a cross long ago, 2,000 years. Why? What was the purpose of it? It says to bring you to God, to bring us back. And he's the only one who can do it. He's the only one who can bring us back into a right relationship with God. So that's step number three. The next step is our response. This is what Jesus did for us, given us his life for us, and now he wants us to respond to him, and he wants us individually to receive his forgiveness by inviting Jesus into your heart, making Jesus your forgiver and leader. He wants you to commit your life, to say, you know, I don't know what direction I was going before. I don't know what all my motives and my plans and my priorities, but Jesus wants me to seek first him and his kingdom. He wants you to commit your life to follow Christ. And here's the promise in John's gospel. John wrote these words, to as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God. Have you done that in your life yet? Have you ever bowed your knee, so to speak? Have you ever bowed your head and say, God, please come into my life. I trust you to be my savior and my forgiver. I'm committing my life to follow you. I'm deciding today to become one of your followers. If you've done that, congratulations, because you've done one of the most important steps that God desires for every human being. When you say, God, do you have a plan for my life? God has a plan a general plan for every single human being's life. And this is the plan, that everybody would bow their knee to Jesus, that everybody would realize they're a sinner in need of a savior and they would embrace Christ. The next step that God wants you to do is he wants you to tell somebody. Jesus said, if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my father in heaven. Jesus, or Paul says this in the letter to the Romans. He says, if you confess and confess is to declare publicly. It's not hiding in a corner. It's not taking your light, your faith in Jesus and hiding it under a bushel. No, he wants you to let it shine, right? So he, he says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So it, you have to go public. You tell somebody about your decision. And you know what the public pledge of allegiance is to Jesus in the New Testament? You've, if you've never read the New Testament, all the way from Matthew through Revelation, you can see it over and over and over again. When anybody publicly declares their faith in Jesus Christ, you know what they're doing? They're getting into the waters of baptism. They are going down into the water 
They're declaring their faith publicly in Jesus Christ. They're going down into the water, and when they're going underneath that water, it is a picture of Jesus' death and burial and resurrection. It's not just getting wet. It's not just going through some ritual. It's identifying with Jesus, saying, Jesus, you died for me. I'm going to die to my old way of life. And when I come up out of that watery grave, I'm going to be raised to walk in a new life. And that's why baptism is for believers. Baptism isn't just for babies. I know I was a baby. My parents baptized me in a church in Wichita, Kansas when I was a baby. I don't remember the baptism. I don't remember ever saying I'm a sinner in need of a savior, right? I was a baby. But at some point in your life, Jesus wants you to de publicly declare your faith in him and your allegiance to follow him. And we do that through baptism. And so if you've never been baptized as a believer, I don't mean as a baby, because I know you, those were, that was a faith step that your parents made for you to say, we're going to raise this, this child in a Christian family. We're going to teach him the ways of God and Jesus. That was a faith step of your parents, but now this is your decision. If you've never been baptized into Christ, I invite you, take one of those cards that are in front of you, check the box that says, I'm ready to be baptized, and we will make arrangements. We can do it next week. You come back next week, we'll baptize you right here in church. There's a baptistry. I don't know if you knew that. Right behind the screen. It's collecting dust, and it needs to be used. So now, that's the basic step. Say, God, do you really have a plan for my life? That is the general plan that God has for every human being that walks on this earth. Every human being on this planet is to, to put their faith and trust in Jesus and to follow him. Now, in fact, that's the most important step. The answer is that God has a plan for your life. It begins by being in a right relationship through Jesus. But God's plan for you doesn't end with trusting Jesus. It certainly begins there. Those of you who have gone to those evangelistic crusades. I mean, the trouble or, or the misunderstanding that can happen in one of those evangelistic crusades is the people can walk away from the crusade. They can walk down on the field. They can raise their hand and accept Christ and say, Jesus, I believe in you and I'm going to follow you the rest of my life. And they walk away from that. And it's like, well, I did everything God wanted me to do. And now I'm, I'm heaven bound, I'm forgiven, and that's all God ever asked of me. And, Je and Jesus said, no, I'm sorry. He said, I didn't just ask you to one time bow your head and declare your faith in me and believe in me and then walk away. Jesus said, I want you to follow me all the days of your life. And so God's plan for you doesn't end with trusting in Jesus. God's plan doesn't end with you being baptized, but it certainly begins there. So now the next question is, what is next? What else are we to discover next steps for discovering what God's plan is for your life? And I want to talk about three issues. I want to talk about three questions. I want to talk about issues of, and this, this is in your bulletin if you want to fill this out. I want to talk about questions of identity. The first one is identity. The first question, who am I? Who are you and who did God make you to be? The second question is a question of purpose. What am I living for, right? Everybody's living for something. Jesus says you can't live for God and money at the same time. But Jesus recognizes you can live for something other than God. You, you just, you know, it's not natural for us to live for God all the time. So what am I living for is the next question. And then the third question is one of commitment. Will I play it safe? Are you going to play it safe in your life and following Jesus or are you going to get risky? Are you going to get dangerous?
in your Christian faith? Are you going to be one of those persons that, that I remember in the Promise Keepers, they said, or, or maybe it was Tony Evans, they said, you know, be one of those kinds of dangerous Christ followers that when you wake up in the morning, the devil says, oh crap, he's up or she's up because you become a dangerous person. So identity and purpose and commitment. Who am I? What am I living for? And will I play it safe? Let's go to the first one. Who am I? Who are you as a follower of Jesus Christ? Who are you? You know what God says you are? You're at least four things. You're probably more than that, but you're at least four things. The first thing you are in your identity is you are now a child of God. You are a child of God. That means you are in God's family. You belong. You know, if you were an orphan, this would mean even more to you. If you were adopted, this would mean even more to you. But the, the first, the first uh, uh, answer to who I am or who are you is that you are a child of God. Paul says this in, in his letter to the Galatians. He says, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You are all one. You are a child of God through faith in Christ Jesus, whether you're a male or female, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, and if you're not Jewish, if you're not Jewish, you are a Gentile. So you're either, it's a two-person category. You can't say, is there another option? There, is, there isn't any other. So you're one or the other. So you're either male or female, and that should be a binary option too, but that's another message. Um, male or female, um, uh, Jew nor Greek, or slave nor free. And I hope nobody's an actual slave, but in the world today, they're actually, it's sad, but there are slaves. So you are a child of God. So here, here's Jesus' point. If you're a child of God, act like it. Act like a son or a daughter of the King of Kings. Act like it. You are a child of God. So who am I? What is God's plan for my life? He wants me to recognize that I am a child of God, that I belong in God's family, that my future is secure, that I am secure in my Father's love, that nothing can, take, can snatch me out of the Father's hand. God wants you to have that kind of security. You are a child of God. The second reality for who am I, or answering the question who am I, is you are uniquely gifted by God. God made you unique. He has amazing plans for you when you choose to follow Jesus. Look what God says in Ephesians chapter 2 in verse 10. Paul says these words, For we are God's workmanship, in other words, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to... There we go. Thank you. Okay. I, I, thought, I thought we had verses to each one, and now we got it straightened out. Okay. So look what it says when you are uniquely gifted by God. For we are God's handiwork, or God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. God wants you to do good works. And here's the other thing. God has uniquely crafted good works for you to do, Right? Um, another way of saying that, and Francine Rivers wrote a book about it, uh, it says, another way to translate that word handiwork, for we are God's masterpiece. Each one of you is a unique masterpiece creation of God. You have gifts, you have unique talents, God created you with a certain personality and a temperament, he's given you a, a certain skill set that nobody else has on the planet. 
Nobody has the talents that you have. And God gifted you in, the, in this unique way so that your life could be filled with these good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. So once you realize that I'm not just a child of God, but I am a uniquely gifted person, a uniquely gifted son or daughter of God, then uh, God has given you uh, great works to do and he wants you to be active doing those good works. Who am I? The third reality of who you are. You are a child of God. You are uniquely gifted by God. The third reality is you are a part of God's family. You're, you're not an orphan out there. You're not just a human being with no connection to any other human being. In the kingdom of God, we're all members of the same family. But in the kingdom of God, there are local congregations of Jesus gatherings. And that's what this is here on Sunday morning. It's a Jesus gathering of God's people here in Sebastopol Christian Church. And you are a part of this family. You are, quote, no longer foreigners and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with God's people. You are members of God's household. So when somebody says, you know, uh, do you love Jesus? Yes. Do you follow him? Yes. Do you belong to a local church? Yes. Uh, is the church a building? No. Is the church a group of Jesus gatherers? Yes. Where is the local church gathering? Where is the local Jesus gathering that you are a part of? Sebastopol Christian Church. That's, you are members, you are part of God's church family. And it is a great privilege to be part of that together because together, this church can do a lot more than any individual could do on his own. Would you agree with that? I mean, part of the reason we're able to support Young Life, part of the reason we're able to have After School Bible Club, part of the reason we were able to do the Nomadic Shelter on Monday night, part of the reason we're going to be able to have a great serve day this coming Saturday where everybody's going to get a brand new t-shirt. Now, hopefully it's going to fit you and it's charcoal gray and it's got nice colors on it and Chris White designed it and he did a great job and I'm excited. So when you come here on Saturday morning at eight o'clock, you're going to get one of these charcoal gray t-shirts that says Sebastopol Christian Church and it has our logo on it and it says loving and serving our community and it's going to be great. We're going to go out and represent Jesus to the community on uh, this coming Saturday. We got a, a, a great opportunity to do that as part of God's church family. So that's number three. Number four the other reality when you say, who am I? I'm a child of God. I've been uniquely gifted by God. I am part of God's church family. And number four, you're also an ambassador. And that's a, that's a lofty term, is it not? To say you're an ambassador for Christ, an official representative. Like a, a nation would be able to send uh, their ambassador to another, another kingdom, another country. And that person becomes the official representative of the United States to that other country. And Jesus says, I want you to be my ambassador to the rest of the world. Look what he says. Look what Paul tells us in the second Corinthian letter. He says, all this is from God. And what is, when, when Paul says all this is from God, do you remember what he's talking about? He said, if anyone is in Christ, that person is what? If anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation, right? Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. So you're a new creation in, in Christ. God is orchestrating the whole thing. He began it by sending Jesus to us. And Paul tells us, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Question, stop, Oop, breaks. 
Who did he give the ministry of re reconciliation to? It says, who gave us the ministry of reconciliation? That is a, uh, I don't know what it's called, possessive pronoun. You grammarians can correct me uh, later on, but that means that each one of us is part of this, right? Because if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been given the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling to himself in Christ, the world, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. So we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. When you go out as an ambassador to Christ in your community from Sunday afternoon until Sunday morning, right? In fact, Jerry, Jerry Chapman brought it up to us and we said, you know, it's a good idea. So now we have these little signs as you're leaving the campus. You remember what that little sign says? It says you are now entering what? The mission field. That's another way of saying, don't forget your Christ's ambassador to the world wherever you go, to your family, to your workplace, to your neighborhood, to people on your Facebook. And by the way, when God says to love your neighbor as yourself, the, the 21st uh, century translation and social media of that, love your neighbor as yourself, is tweet others the way you would like to be tweeted. Okay, it's true. Tweet others the way you'd like to be tweeted. Wow, that was bad. Okay. So, who am I? Who am I living for? We've talked about those two questions. And then the last one. The last one comes down to, where's your heart? Where is your heart now? Are you ready to step forward in, in joining Christ in his mission? Are you ready to say, God, what is your plan for my life? Your plan is to make me your ambassador, your official representative wherever I go. You want me to represent Jesus wherever I go? Yes, that is God's plan for your life. So what am I living for? Paul says this, or Jesus says this uh, about the life that he just lived, by the way. And you think about three and a half years of ministry, laying down his carpentry tools, walking down to the River Jordan, being baptized by John the Baptist, going into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by Satan and came out sin-free. And the way that Jesus beat Satan was, remember what he beat him with? He beat him with the Spirit of God and the Word of God. Because every time Satan came and tempted Jesus, Jesus would counter and he would say, it is written or scripture says, you know, man shall not live by bread alone. So I'm not going to turn the stones into bread. I'm not going to do something selfishly for myself. God wants me to use my miraculous powers to help other people, not just meet my own uh, physical needs. So Jesus finishes three and a half years of ministry with his disciples. He's in the upper room and he's praying this. Right after he says eternal life is to know the one true God, he says these words, Father, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. I brought you, how do we bring God glory on earth? By completing the work that God gave you to do. And you're gonna, you're gonna say, and I know you're gonna say, because I asked the question when I read this. Well, what is the work that you have me to do? What is the work that God wants you to do? That's something that you and God are going to have to work out day to day to day. Because when it, the psalmist says it this way, he says, he says, Lord, your, your word is a lamp to my feet and it's a light to my path. And when you do the word study on a lamp and a light, what you realize is, is the light that, that God gives a person as they're walking along the path, the light only shoots ahead a few steps at a time. 
So when it says, Lord, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, it doesn't mean that God's going to give you the rest of your life in HD Technicolor and spell it all out and say, okay, this is the person you're supposed to marry. This is the career that I want you to have. Uh, this is the place I want you to live. These are the number of kids I want you to have. These are what I want you to name the kids. These are the schools I want you to send. You know, God's not going to give you all those details ahead of time. He's going to give it to you day by day and hour by hour as you walk with them. And you say, God, lead me in the way that you want me to go. Jesus kept saying, he went up on the mountainside to pray. He prayed all night. He prayed early in the morning. He's always saying, God, I know you're at work. Yeah, Father, I know you're at work. Show me where you're working, and I'm going to join you in that work. And he did that every day, faithful to God. And so he says, Father, I brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. So if you're ready to do God's will, if you say, God, what's your plan for my life? I'm going to do all those things. I'm a follower of Jesus. I've been baptized. I'm a child of God. I've been uniquely gifted by God. I'm part of God's church family. And now I'm an ambassador for Christ. So now, God, every single day, show me where you want me to go, who you want me to talk to, whose life that I can impact for eternity. And, and you're going to do it day by day by day. And when you do that, your life will finish like the life of Jesus, bringing God glory on earth by completing whatever the work that God had for you to do. So the last question really is, will, it's a question of commitment, it's will I play it safe? The last question for us is, will I play it safe, right? Sports fans know all about this concept of playing it safe, right? Somewhere along the line, we've watched a team in a critical game begin to play it safe, right? Then bad things happen in football when a team begins to play it safe. In fact, they invented this term in football. When a team gets a lead and then they're trying not to give up the lead, the other team has the ball and they, they call it this, um, what do they call this? Uh, defense, something defense. They call it um, pre, oh, that's it. They call it prevent defense, right? All you football fans know this. Prevent defense is the worst thing that was ever invented in a football game because the whole point is the, is the defense is now trying not to lose the game. Instead of trying to win the game, even though the team could have been dominating, even the team could have been playing great, firing in all cylinders, scoring lots of points, getting a big lead, almost like they're ready to win the game. They're, they're ready to pop the champagne corks in celebration of the victory. And then they go into this prevent defense mode and they go into this play it safe mode. And sometimes when that happens, the team in the lead, they get cautious. They stop taking risks. And instead of winning the game, they end up losing the game. And I have no better example than that than two years ago at the Super Bowl game. You guys remember that. It wasn't that long ago. 2017, Super Bowl 51, New England Patriots versus Atlanta Falcons. The score at the halftime is Atlanta's 21 and New England is 3. The score at the beginning of the fourth quarter, three-fourths of the way through the game, the score is 28, Atlanta 28, and New England 9. Statistic, statisticians, and I read this, I don't, football, they'll, they'll do math. They'll do math up, up and down the wazoo as long as they can uh, talk about sports, right? So they say, they say the statisticians came out with this, uh, this estimate and they said Atlanta had a 95% chance of winning that football game at the beginning of the fourth quarter. Those of you who remember the game, Atlanta lost the game. Atlanta, uh, New England just happened to have this quarterback. You might have heard of him. His name's Tom Brady, right? Tom Brady's now called a goat, the greatest of all time. And it's debatable, but probably is. Tom Brady... 
Tom Brady led his team to score 25 straight points from that fourth quarter on, including a touchdown in overtime. And instead of being Super Bowl champions like they should have been, instead of dancing in the streets of Atlanta, they were reading the book of Lamentations at the end of that game because they played it safe. They played it safe and they didn't, they didn't continue to keep their foot on the accelerators. Sometimes, here's my point of this illustration, sometimes playing it safe is just a sure way to lose. God wants you and me to win at this, at this life that we're living. God says, I'm with you. I've gifted you. I've given you an identity. You're a child of the king. You're an ambassador for Christ. God has given us an assignment. Go and make disciples. And sometimes instead of saying that, sometimes we rewrite the book of Isaiah. You remember that, you remember that uh, story in Isaiah in, in chapter 6 where Isaiah has this vision and he's taken up into heaven and he sees God Almighty on his throne and all his majesty and glory. And the angels are flying around saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Isaiah says, I'm ruined. I'm a person of unclean lips. And God forgives him. He puts a live coal in his mouth and he says, your, your sin is forgiven. And after Isaiah, the prophet, it, the spokesman for God, for Israel at the time in a critical part of their, of their history, I, Isaiah is watching and he hears a voice coming out of the throne of God. And he said, who, who shall I send? Who will go for me? And instead of us having the same answer that Isaiah had, instead we come up with an answer and we say, here am I, Lord, send somebody else. You know, that's what playing it safe is all about. Here am I, Lord, send somebody else. Don't let that be your epitaph in life. Don't let God send somebody else. Say, here am I, Lord, send me. I'm not gonna play it safe. I'm going for broke. I'm a child of the king. I've been uniquely gifted by God and so have you. I'm part of God's church family. We're on the winning team in case you didn't know. Read the end of the book of Revelation. And we are an ambassador for Christ. And are we going to play it safe? Don't let your answer be, here am I, Lord. Please send somebody else. God has great plans for you. And they begin, those great plans for you begin when you say to God, I'm all in. I'm all in. Have you seen this? Have you seen the, the poker illustrations? I know no, none of you know anything about gambling, except that anywhere in a five-mile radius, you can throw a rock and there's a casino somewhere around this place. But, but in, you know, the whole thing about the, the poker and the culture that we lived in, in the last years, they developed this phrase called all in, right? And it's somewhere in the hand. This guy thinks he's got the winning hand or, or he's bluffing or he's doing something. But he, but he takes every single, all the chips that he has, all the possessions that he has on the table and he shapes them and he pushes them all together and he goes, and he takes all the, the, the chips and he puts them in the middle of the table. He's betting everything he has. And the phrase is what, right? The phrase is, I'm all in. That's what God's calling us to do. He wants you and I to be all in. And when we're all in, you say, God, what's your, do you really have a plan for my life? Yeah, God wants you to be a follower of Jesus and he wants you to be all in. And when you're all in, that's when the, there's where the blessing is. There's where God's 
presence is. There's where the abundant life is found. There's where the adventure in life is found. And there's where the ultimate satisfaction is because the stuff that we're, we're not just storing up things here on earth. We're storing up treasures in heaven. We're, we're, we are making a difference in other people's eternity. And when we do that, God is going to bless us and God is going to reward us. That's what God's plan is for you and my life. But we can't play it safe and we have to say, Lord, by your grace, with your power, by your mercy, I'm all in. Choir, I invite you guys to come up. Uh, come on up uh, now and I'm going to close this in a word of prayer. What I'd like you to do right now is I'd like everybody to stand. Whether you're in the choir or not, I'd like you to stand. Because I want to close in a word of prayer. Come on up, choir, come on up. You guys are up on the platform. And when I'm asking everybody to stand, what I'm saying is, you know, when you, when you make a real commitment to somebody, you don't sit there in your barca lounger. You don't sit there in your, I mean, that's not a position of like commitment of saying I'm all in. When you're all in, you're standing and you're saying, God, this is where I am in life. And where I am right now is not necessarily where I want to be. But now that I've heard what your plan is for my life, I know where I want to be. And so I need your help to get there. And that's, why, that's where God comes in. When we pray to him, he answers us. So will you bow your heads with me in a word of prayer? Dear God, I, I thank you that, that you gave us a revelation for what your will is for our lives. God, you have, you have an amazing life for us. Jesus said that you... You said, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly, that, that we might have life to the full. And Lord, we know that life is in a right relationship with you through faith in your son, Jesus. And Lord, I pray for everybody in this room and everybody listening, that they have taken that step and said, Jesus, I believe in you. I will follow you. Lord, please be my forgiver and my leader. And Lord, once we've taken that step, Lord, I pray that you'd show us, you'd remind us who we are Lord, we are your children. We are uh, children of God by faith. We are uniquely gifted and crafted by you to do unique ministries that you've called us to do. Help us to remember that you created us in Christ Jesus as your handiwork for good works that you prepared in advance for us to do. So God, help us to be active in doing good works. Help us to remember also you put us in a church family and together we're gonna do great things to make an impact in this community for people's lives for you and then finally lord remind us that we are your ambassadors god we are representing jesus wherever we go lord help us to represent you well help us to be good reflections of who you are full of grace full of truth full of purpose full of joy god help us to to be those difference makers in the world today through your love and by your grace. And Lord, help us to find that abundant life that you promise us. In Jesus' name, we all lift these prayers to you and all God's people together said, amen.